Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. With NFL free agency in full swing, the Ringer's football crew is covering all the major off-season moves on the Ringer NFL Show and on theRinger.com. Also coming this week, we're introducing our new sports rewatchables podcast running across the network, where we break down the most rewatchable games in football, basketball, baseball, and wrestling. Already up on the Bill Simmons podcast feed, you can hear Chris Ryan, Joe House, and Bill Simmons discuss Game 6 of the 2016 Western Conference Finals between OKC and the Golden State Warriors. You can check these out on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's going on, Jabronis? It's Pitch Mr. Perfect, Skylar Aston. Hey, this is Bruce Pritchard. Gross Battle Season 1 champion, Mike Lawrence. The king of sad stop. The Silver Lake heartthrob. It's Troy Kirby. It's Nick Mundy. This is your WWE superstar, the legit boss, Sasha Banks. Hey, this is WWE superstar, Braun Strowman. My name's Kevin Owens. I'm Shinsuke Nakamura. Zach Linder. Dan Black, a.k.a. the Goofaraja. I'm AJ Styles, the phenomenal one, if you will, and you're listening. You're listening to this. You're listening to. You are listening to. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to the Masked Man Show. 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 Welcome to the Rewatchables. Sports edition, or maybe I should say pro wrestling edition. This is David Shoemaker. I'm sitting here with my dear friend, wrestling uh, enthusiast extraordinaire, and former employee of WWE, Zach Linder. How you doing, man? So great to see you, David. I think that uh, enthusiast might be a bit strong these days, <laughs> um, but uh, hist- I'll take historian. Yeah, well, I was um, a historian, so anybody can be a historian. And also, of course, as always, my heel producer, Jim. Jim, you good? I'm pretty good. We're going to talk today about... One of the greatest moments in WWE or pro wrestling history of the last decade, WrestleMania 30. Journey with me back in time, if you will, to New Orleans, Louisiana. It's April 6th, 2014. Wow, that's a long time ago. Five I, whole years ago. I was a little boy. I know, so was I. Um, it was, uh, I, sh- I would guess I'll say a simpler time in wrestling history, although it was in sort of the... Uh, it was it was an angsty time. It was it was we had we had gone through the CM Punk era. CM Punk, right. as a matter of fact, and we'll talk about this more. Had just walked out on the company a couple of months prior to this night. It was the biggest story behind the scenes at at this time. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And and there was that, and the parallel was on screen was Daniel Bryan, this sort of also ran indie heart. I mean, indie superstar who nobody ever really penciled in for mega stardom in WWE, who had really just forced his way to the top of the card. We're going to talk all about that, but the storyline going into WrestleMania 30, the number one story was Daniel Bryan was a B-plus player. That's According ter- to Stephanie McMahon. Uh, on right? screen. Right. Uh, Stephanie and Triple H, her, her, her on-screen and real-life husband, were the power figures, and they were determined to keep Daniel Bryan away from the main event uh, because he obviously didn't fit the mold of what was best for business. Again, quoting from the source, um, We eventually got to a point where he staged a sort of Occupy Wall Street style sit-in on an episode of Monday Night Raw with a bunch of fans just doing his famous yes chant. Uh, Even outside of those sort of um, choreographed moments, the entire crowd at every event was just going nuts every single night doing the yes chant at the merest whiff of Daniel Bryan or even 
not with Daniel Bryan not there. The chant had taken over the company. No question. And I was working at WWE at the time. I was uh, on their digital content uh, and editorial production team. And we would talk often about how this was the most over, this was the most popular that a wrestler had been in a real visceral way since the heyday of Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 you know, the term is pop, right? right? And the pops that Brian would get night in and night out were, as they say, Austin pops, yeah. right? It was insane how hot the crowd was for him every night. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I don't know why this is my specific memory, because there's so many big moments. But when he, he uh, in, the, in the, I guess, the end of the year before this, he was feuding with Bray Wyatt. Right. And what was sort of a, uh, and we'll talk about the long winding road uh, that, that Daniel Bryan took to get here as we move, move forward. But it was sort of a sidebar feud. It wasn't really the dire- part of the direct line from Daniel Bryan's ascent to his place in WrestleMania 30. But I remember after he beat, Bray Wyatt, he was sitting on top of it. They were in a cage match, right? Right, right, yeah. He was sitting on top of the cage doing the yes chant, and that, and it like overwhelmed my body. The, just the reaction that he got in that moment, it was it was absolutely it's stunning. There, there was wonderful camera work at that moment, I remember. I remember there's a, there's a wide shot of the cage, uh-huh. and you often don't get that shot. Yeah. Usually um, the the directors and the, and the TV production team at WWE like to focus in real close to get the emotions and reactions. But there was like a wide shot of the cage from the arena crowd and it began to zoom out as the whole crowd began pointing their fingers in mm-hmm. the air and doing the yes chant. And it was this unbelievable evocative camera angle and moment. And it kind of even enhanced how insane um, the the crowd love the crowd's love for Brian was in that moment. Really minor thing that I want to say after watching a whole bunch of old Daniel Bryan footage in preparation for this, you know, we always say when we talk about pro wrestling that it's the little things, you know, and we right. say that to talk about other things too. Right, but like you know, the difference between a guy who can throw a really good fake punch and a guy that throws a sort of mediocre or non-believable fake punch, it's like it's all in the wind-up, right? Or I mean, or, it's, or it'll be a tiny little, it'll, it'll be a minuscule difference between right. a good punch and a bad punch, but it's just knowing how to do it just right, being on top of your game, knowing all the cues. Daniel Bryan, one thing I watched, I, I realized watching his old stuff, had, he he queued up the crowd for the yes chant every oh, time. Yeah. A lot of guys will do their will, will do their get in their catchphrases and wait for the crowd to catch up. Daniel Bryan takes this subtle pause before he starts putting his fingers in the air, and it's just this wind up where the whole crowd hits the first yes at exactly the right time. It's, it's unbelievable. Re- it's, he knows exactly what he's doing. And there are guys that are great at that. I mean, I, uh, I think a great example is Alberto Del Rio, right? Yeah, I, I he, used to always say When he came in, he did all the little things, yeah. right? His entrance, when the way he would wave his fingers towards himself as mm-hmm. the sparklers were coming down. I remember when I did a comedy show with Mick Foley, and I think you were there, and we were rehearsing a match with Mick, a comedy wrestling match with Mick Foley uh-huh. backstage, and we said, hey, Mick, could you maybe like lay in some punches to this heel over here and instead of just laying in the punches he kind of swirls his fists around to kind of like <laughs> like kind of like charge up the punch uh-huh. before he lays it lays it on and it's he just knew to do that because the greats know to do those little yeah. things Alberto uh, Del Rio by the way did all the little things right and all the big, big things terribly and by the way in I just, life I don't know <laughs> 100% I just, and I just looked up that cage match if people listening want to want to go back and rewatch that it was the January 13th 2014 edition of Raw in Providence, Rhode Island. Wow, I didn't even. I thought that. I just assumed that was like a 
that was a December pay-per-view or something. I had no idea that they just blew that off. Well, you know what it was? It was Bray and Brian versus the Usos. And and Brian turns on Bray, and then they wrestle at the Rumble. They have a match at the Rumble. All right, that makes more sense. Now, um, let's get back to the backstory here. Um, We're going to talk about more than just Daniel Bryan. WrestleMania 30 was, well, I mean, it's got to be said, for a modern WrestleMania card, this is pretty slim. This is a, this is a trim, well like the like well put together, honed card. A hundred percent. And I realized that while I was rewatching it, uh, I think it was during. And we'll get to the Brock Lesnar and Undertaker match. Mm-hmm. But I was watching the Brock Lesnar and Undertaker match and said, "Oh, there's, there's got to be a, a bunch more match. This feels like the kind of the, the middle the middle time of the show main event." Mm-hmm. And I look at the card and. Oh, only two matches left. Yeah. You have your popcorn match with the women, and then you have your main event, triple yeah. threat. I was like, oh, that that's it. Yeah, it's true. There was one pre-show match, which was a four a four corners tag match, which is exactly what you want, you know, to get the crowd moving at the beginning and just sort of move on from there. And everything else, I mean, and then there's seven matches on the main card. Uh, two of them have Daniel Bryan. One of them is a <laughs> right. three-minute shield match, just to just to just to pop the you know just to just to give the shield their moment to shine. Hundred percent. There's two battle royals, a men's and a women's battle royal. No, and, no, there's no women's battle royal. It's oh no, a, no, it's a it's a invi- the Vicky Guerrero Invitational for the Divas Championship. Common sorry. mistake. Yeah, sorry. And then so there's there's two big multi-person matches, and then besides that, you have Cena versus Bray Wyatt and Brock Lesnar versus the Undertaker. That's the whole card. It it's unbelievable. It it's so streamlined, and I don't know. And we can talk about you know the what ifs right later on, mm-hmm. but uh, I would bet that a lot of this Daniel Bryan story informed the rest of the lineup of the show. Sure. They were like, oh, no, we got to build the, the whole show has got to be about Daniel Bryan. Well, whatever. I mean, you can see a lot of uh, a lot of that, the sort of thought process that goes into current like NXT cards reflected in this. Right. The whole thing. It's about telling a story or telling two or three stories at the same time. And Triple H is at the center of everything in both of those instances. All right. Let's do a little bit of background before we get in. Now, Daniel Bryan. Uh, as I said before, was nobody's idea of a main eventer. Right. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of. A lot of assumptions made about what Vince McMahon and WWE in general kind of want in their in in their top guy, um, but you know it's it's not an accident that you have John Cena, you have uh, Hulk Hogan before him. Um, Who? Yeah, so Stone Cold Steve Austin and even The Rock were. I mean, The Rock was was a guy that they loved. Stone Cold Steve Austin sort of forced his way into the main event. It was not like your traditional, but still an enormous human being. Bit, and I think a, under underestimated or enormous human uh, being. But yeah, Vince loves the jacked and tan, right? Yeah, and there's all and there's and there's you know an endless number of stories about him wanting Lex Luger to be his next big right. guy. There's the there's the Tom McGee's of the world that are sort of lost to history, but just like big Whoa. muscly dudes who just like look the part, and then we'll figure out the rest later. Like that's the rap that Vince McMahon gets, and right. WWE more broadly, they're not trying to get your NWA style workhorse who can just go go do a 60 minute Broadway every night in every city across the country, right? I mean, in this period, Ryback comes to mind. Yeah. Everybody thought Ryback, oh, he's going to be the next, he's the next John Cena. Ryba- Vince loves Ryback. Ryback was like if the ultimate warrior shot himself up with another ultimate warrior and shaved his head, basically. <laughs> that's 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 what the, that's what the Ryback uh, was. But yeah, and there were many other people um, even in the company who you thought, who, you know, who seemed to be more traditional. And, and then, of course, you have Brock Lesnar, who we're going to get back to, who who eventually becomes the sort of Vince McMahon approved middle ground between the Daniel Bryans of the world and the Hulk Hogan's of the world. And I think we haven't even mentioned yet Batista. 
Yeah. This was this WrestleMania was intended to be Batista's mm-hmm. return returning a crowning moment, right? He had come back several months prior. Mm-hmm. He's a conquering movie star. He's a guardian of the galaxy. Yeah. And the crowd just doesn't want Batista. Exactly. Uh, and I think that has a lot more to do with Daniel Bryan than it does to Batista. Batista, for, for anyone who's not paying attention well, to the current product, Batista just made another return. And they're doing it right this time. They're doing it right this time. He returned on Monday Night Raw, and nobody, I mean, everyone's as excited as they could possibly be. Yeah, and, and when he returned... In this year, in, in 2014, or it might have been late 2013, he was brought back as a babyface. And the crowd said, no, 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 no. We don't want Batista the babyface. We want Bootista. We want heel Batista. So that kind of organically happened over the course of about three months yeah. in, in early of this year. So let's run the, ba- run the backstory of this, the Daniel Bryan storyline real quick. At SummerSlam the previous year, um, and that's August 2013 for those keeping, keeping tabs, John Cena just sort of arbitrarily decided he was going to wrestle, Dan- defend the title against Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam. This was a John Cena, like, he, godfather call. He was like, you know what? I'm going to take on this guy. The crowd seems to like him. It'll kind of, and, and at this point, John Cena was, I don't even know what the backstage story was. Maybe you know, but it really seemed like John Cena was sort of reaching the stage of his career, sort of the post CM Punk era where he had seen, where he, he saw the value in sort of polishing his bona fides a little bit. You know, it's not just about, the rain. It's not just about the number of championships. It's about the matches that people are going to look at on YouTube in five years. You know, that, and Daniel. That, that's take, why you come to a David Shoemaker wrestling podcast to hear polishing his bona fides. <laughs> <laughs> that means something different in a different environment too. Um, but so so John Cena takes on who is actually what if I remember correctly had a tricep injury that he was working through or whatever. Like fought, took on Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam. Right. Daniel Bryan won. Right, and immediately in the aftermath. While the balloons are still falling yes. from the victory, which this is a huge, this is the biggest moment, and it it has to be said for a fan like Zach, for a fan like me, summer we we at this point we'd started to acknowledge that SummerSlam was our WrestleMania, right? right. WrestleMania is for the the casual fans, it's for the kids, it's for the old the people who haven't watched in a year who are coming back to you know it's for people who want to see The Rock, you know, wrestle John Cena, right? SummerSlam is our is our chance for guys who are never going to win at WrestleMania to get a big moment to shine. Right. This was this was Daniel Bryan's WrestleMania moment. This was our WrestleMania moment. Daniel Bryan won. He beat John Cena at SummerSlam. But go ahead. Hundred percent. And they did it right. They treated it as a big moment. It mm-hmm. wasn't just a normal victory. They had confetti and balloons falling from the rafters. They made it. They gave him the moment. Mm-hmm. And then Triple H, who was the <laughs> special guest referee of this match, yeah. and we were none the wiser. Mm-hmm. Uh, Randy Orton, uh, Triple H's longtime protege, buddy, uh-huh. etc. Uh, Randy Orton enters with his Money in the Bank briefcase, which gives him the opportunity to cash in for a title match whenever he wants. Mm-hmm. Hands it to Triple H. Triple H has this expression on his face where he acknowledges that this has been planned all along. Mm-hmm. And he takes the briefcase, and I I believe he pedigrees Brian. Yeah, Triple H, yeah. He, he definitely attacked him. He, atta- he attacks Brian, and he crowns Randy Orton his champion. And then the title, over the next number of months, is sort of hot-potatoed 
between Brian and Orton. Um, and it's sort of this kind of muddled rivalry. Fans aren't really into it. They feel like Brian is getting mistreated. We never get the Brian John Cena rematch. Cena never, still to this day, has never invoked his rematch clause against Brian to regain his title. And the crowd just wasn't into it. And that that's what sort of began to lead up to this sort of revolt of the fan base to demand that Brian get get his due and get a real title moment. Right. And so as we as we approach WrestleMania 30, um, I, I mentioned the 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 Occupy Raw moment before. Right. It, it, there there was definitely a feeling uh, and, and, and we will definitely get to this later in the show. There was there was a delicious sort of anxiety that even the wise the 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 smartened up fans like Zach and me had were never quite sure if WWE was telling us a story or whether they were just like tumbling down a flight of stairs and trying to make it the best and, and, and trying to figure it out as they went right it, it was the best blurring of lines between reality and kayfabe that i think there there maybe has ever been right and so as we approach wrestlemania we, no one's sure if daniel bryan's going to be in no one's sure if he's going to win the if he's going to be in the main event fighting for the title as 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 close to wrestlemania as what a month out we were still hearing rumors that this is, it was just going to be randy orton versus batista for the title and that that and that and that you know Vince McMahon was was firm in his belief that that was the way to go, and then r- right before I mean I I got I'm sure I'm sure I'm gonna mess up the amount of time, but it seemed like just weeks before WrestleMania they kind of added the stipulation where Triple H would fight Daniel Bryan on the same card, and the winner of that match would be inserted into the Batista Randy Orton match to make it a triple threat main event for the WWE Championship. Right, the the the, uh, the the unified championship, which was at this point represented by two separate belts, which which was ridiculous. It looked cool though. We, sure, to hold up two belts <laughs> looks really cool. I have one belt. Who needs two belts? I don't. I mean, I guess maybe I've just you seen have two some, pairs of pants. No, but if I did, I would be holding them both up at the same time to show how rich I was. Oh, okay, all right. Um, but yeah, and so so um, coming into WrestleMania, regardless of how we got here. This has all been a big windup, but regardless of how we got here, what we the one thing we know for sure is that this story is going to open and close the show. That there's going to be two matches, two major major matches on, as we said, a relatively svelte card that is going to that that are going to, uh, you know, that are that are going to take up what twenty percent, twenty five percent of the of the showtime at WrestleMania. 30, and don't think that that nice round number is meaningless to Vince McMahon. This is a big, big night and a big moment, and they decided to dedicate a quarter of it to Daniel Bryan. So big, in fact, that almost any legend that you can think of of, from wrestling lore was back for this show to celebrate that 30 number, right? Yeah, the show opens, and and, and, you know, we can talk about this a little bit, but the, uh, the show opens with Hulk Hogan. Who? (laughs) <laughs> your host for the evening coming out um and then and soon being joined and then he was joined so that, that we knew Hogan was going to be there he was announced as the host but the surprise was that he was joined in the ring by Stone Cold Steve Austin and then they were both joined in the ring by The Rock um it was i remember i was there uh i was blessed to be on like the 6th row for this for this evening and I got—I think this is the first time. I mean, I, I might have watched it right afterwards to write about it, but this is the first time I think that I watched the show from beginning to end since I was sitting there. I watched all the matches at various times, or 
the important matches. Um, but yeah. I but I remember when Stone Cold's music hit, and then when The Rock's music hit. I mean, it, that was. It seems sort of campy to watch the show now and hear the announcers be like, "Well, I just got my money's worth already, and there hasn't even been a match." It's like, but I, being there, I was like, "Yeah, I, I was good." I, I mean, it was it was huge. I think Mike, when The Rock's music hits, I believe Michael Cole climaxes. <laughs> I'm I'm convinced. I, I was know. not there. I I was in Stamford, Connecticut, covering the show live oh, from the, the newsroom. Yeah. And not being allowed to go to New Orleans for that show was part of why I ended up leaving the company. New Orleans was the be- is the best place for WrestleManias. And I, I remember I was texting with you. I was texting yeah. with Rosenberg, and you guys were all having a blast. And I was like, "Great, I'm in the office." <laughs> um, yeah, we were just dancing down d- dancing down Bourbon Street, and uh, you were crying in your desk chair. The um, uh, Hulk Hogan. Um, it's sort of a surreal moment. Steve Austin and his Steve Austin was a little bit estranged from WWE at this point, if I remember correctly. He definitely wasn't. He was wearing like a Broken Skull Ranch t-shirt that was not w, like a WWE pr- product, right? I mean, he was ne- he's never been like at odds with WWE, but I think he was like more in his podcast zone and less in his like working relationship with WWE zone. Yeah, he hadn't done anything for a number of years as yeah. far as like an official appearance or storyline or a special referee spot. So that was a shock. And then it was an even bigger shock when The Rock, who was in his... Uh, I'm soaking wet all the time phase came out. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is, I had totally forgotten. This was like a good 18 months of The Rock's life where he just poured water on himself before he left the house. And he's wearing like, it's a t-shirt, but it's also Under Armour spandex. Yes. Like a tank top. Mm-hmm. And I remember, so he comes out and Michael Cole climaxes and then he says, it's Hercules himself. Yeah. Because- <laughs> Because because that really terrible the worst movie ever Hercules movie had just come out and I remember I went to go see that at the IMAX up at Lincoln Center and I was so mad that I had gone to watch this movie. Uh, it's not about like we don't have to talk about this Hercules movie at length. Go but it's, on. It's so bad and it, there's a twist in the movie where he's not actually Hercules. Mm. He's just a guy that calls himself Hercules. Yeah. If he's not actually Hercules, could we not have just have him be bald? This is the problem. This is the biggest problem with the, the the one thing that The Rock learned after that was that you never change yourself to fit a role. You change the role to fit yourself, right? Like every character is just The Rock, just a bald giant dude, and then we'll just we'll somehow find a way for that to make sense within the context of the movie. Anyway, within the context of WrestleMania 30, it made a little bit more sense for The Rock to be there. These three guys pop out and they just like get the crowd absolutely Nuts. And there's a fantastic moment where Hogan makes the flub of the cinch. The biggest flub, maybe and, in live mic history. And it becomes an ongoing bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go ahead, explain it to everybody. So they're they're at the uh, New Orleans Superdome, right? Uh, 27 years before this, at WrestleMania 3, Hulk Hogan, in perhaps the most iconic wrestling moment of all time, body slams Andre the Giant at the Pontiac Silverdome. And when Hogan comes out to introduce the show, he says, it's so great to be back here at the Silverdome, brothers. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a category. We're going to go through a bunch of categories on this show. We have a category called Best Unintentional Comedy Moment. Which is not mine. I have a different one. This is not yours? Well, let's just, we can just jump right in because this is mine. Um, Not only does he call it the Silverdome, but no, people are like, let it slide the first time. He yeah. repeats it. And he, when calls, he, he does it again. When he says it the second <laughs> time, like two minutes later, the crowd just boos. And the announcers at that point start laughing. 
And yeah, Michael Cole says, no, it's okay. I'm excited too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're like, they're playing it off as like, oh, it's okay that Hogan did this. So Austin comes out. Well, Hogan corrects himself. And I'm sure somebody at ringside waved him or told him. Right. Something like that. But Hogan, give the guy his credit. He's been, he's been on a lot of live mics and a lot in front of a lot of angry crowds in his time. He was just like, oh, sorry, guys. I was just thinking about slamming Andre. You yeah. know, like he immediately knew what he did wrong. Yep. And and kind of apologized and made a joke about it. 100%. Uh, one of the few times Hogan's been caught on a live mic and it paid off for him. <laughs> and... Uh, and Austin comes out, and Austin's f- first thing he says when he gets on the mic is, it's great to be back here in the Silver Dome. <laughs> Play, and Hogan cracks up. Uh, and then I think The Rock says something about it, too. But it's it's so hilarious that this flub becomes an ongoing bit for, like, 15 minutes. It's so great. It's so great. And it's, it's, it's I mean... Uh, it, it just actually it was nice because it I mean I, it, I, you know probably they would have all liked to not have that happen if they could do it over again but disagree but I think it's, <laughs> but it's it, it takes the piss out of the whole thing and it's great because I think you know in pro wrestling and especially at an event like Wrestlemania 30 you run the risk of taking yourself a little bit too seriously and having like your three biggest stars as the announcers would say it's Mount Rushmore come to life right. you know and uh, you know having those three guys out there cutting promos I mean it was a big moment but it was good to be able to laugh because that's the thing about pro wrestling is that like, it's silly 100% alright well that was my unintentional comedy moment of the night Zach do you have a different one? I do well do you want to tell and us what it is? it's less prominent in the show but it became a viral sensation. Uh-oh. And we'll talk later about the Brock Lesnar-Undertaker match, I think. Uh-huh. But when that match ends... <laughs> yes, yes. The camera cuts to a man in the audience. Yes. That man's name, and I might be butchering his last name, I apologize. His name is Ellis Mbe. Yeah. And he is this wide-eyed wrestling fan yeah. that is... Literally sh- wide-eyed. This literally is, wide-eyed. And, and metaphorically, but literally. He, he has this look of shock on his face at what has just occurred in the ring. When the Undertaker loses the, his his mat, his twenty one match winning WrestleMania winning streak ended at the hands of Brock Lesnar, which was arguably the biggest moment in the show, other than the Daniel Bryan moment. And Daniel Bryan, there was a sto- I mean, there was a storyline that night leading. I mean, the the, the whether or not he was going to win, you were primed to believe he could win as a longtime wrestling fan. I don't think anybody in this in the Superdome thought that Brock Lesnar was beating the Undertaker that night. Right. The, we as, thought it was a mistake in the newsroom. Everybody thought it was a mistake yeah. live. The crowd was utterly silent, just completely shocked, and the cameras start clicking, start jumping to 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 show the shock of different fans' faces. And the most memorable <laughs> one they show is Ellison Bay, who's just completely like mouth dropped open, bug eyed. Like it is. It's a everybody listening. Thing you have to. Google this now. <laughs> Look at this guy's face. It became a meme, and he was even animated in a in an animated series that ended, that WWE ended <laughs> up doing down the line. Oh my god, that's so good! And I call it my unintentional comedy moment because the oh, Hogan moment ended up becoming intentional, and this was just the guy being unintentionally funny. His reaction. Yeah, it was really it was. One of the greatest moments in pro wrestling history. I think that I think that's fair to say. It, All right, let's hit some other categories here and right just up start there jumping Kerry, through the show. Kerry winning the title, right up there. <laughs> um, most rewatchable sequence of the night. I think it's the opening sequence that we just talked about. Oh, really? I think it's so fun to watch, mostly because Austin and Rock are just so unbelievably yeah. charming. 
That was on my list. My, it's also what's aged the worst, but we'll get to that. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, I thought rewatching this, rewatching the whole card, um, I, and we'll we'll talk about these specifically. I could watch Triple H versus Daniel Bryan on loop for an entire month. That's it's one of my favorite ma- one of my favorite modern matches. I love it, and every time I watch it, I'm just sort of drawn in and notice different little things, and it's a lot of fun. Now that's a, I mean, it's a whole match. There was a lot of good sequences also in Lesnar versus The Undertaker, which in my memory was a bad match. And rewatching it, I was I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was I mean just a lot. It was a lot longer than I remembered it being, and it it's was really a, long and a lot more compelling than I remembered it being. It's now the, it was a little bit more choreographed than say Triple H Daniel Bryan. There were a lot of you felt like you were watching two guys execute a script sometimes. Well, these are two. These are two bruisers. Yeah. So you're not going to have the improvised kind of more acrobatic sequences where Daniel Bryan is jumping outside the ring and he's he's diving off the top mm-hmm. rope. So you're going to get more kind of like plodding and 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 heavy punches and and big kind of body slams yeah. and stuff like that. So that was good. And then you know it's it, maybe this is just a corny answer, but Daniel Bryan winning and then just into the celebration. Um, is one of the most rewatchable sequences of my, I mean, that, that of, of anything in pro wrestling. I mean, just one of the greatest post-match just celebrations to see that entire, we talked about the cage match on Raw where they pulled the camera back. They zoomed out on this and the, an entire football arena with, by the way, more people than go to a football game because they have, they have they, they're able to put more seats in for a on wrestling the field, event. Yeah. yeah. An entire arena full of people doing this yes chant, fingers up in the air at the same time is one of the most just striking things that I've ever seen. It's an incredible moment and the reaction is is insane. You're you're absolutely right. The reason why it's not the most rewatchable sequence for me is I can't get over the fact that it was Batista who tapped out for the finish <laughs> yeah. instead of This Orton. is a real inside this is a wrestling nerd answer but the, I but I yeah. actually agree with you. This is this is like, like if you want to go real inside baseball about the booking and who takes the fall and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, right? If you're going to give the moment to Brian, he's got to tap out the champ. Yeah. which is Randy Orton. Yeah. But instead you tap out the other guy in the match which counts in the rules of a triple threat match. Mhm. All right. What what's aged the best. Uh, this this is the next category. What's aged the best? Now, there's a lot of different things we could go through. And by the way, as I said before, there's more than three matches on this card. You can talk about some of the uh, some of the stuff in the the Battle Royal and the Vicky Guerrero Invitational. Uh, you could even talk about the tag match on the pre-show. You can talk. There, there's a you know a lot. But I'll tell you what. I just said it. Lesnar versus Undertaker was a lot better than I thought it than I than I than I remembered it being. So that's that's definitely in the conversation. Also, in the way better than I remembered it being, and probably better than it had any rights to be, John Cena versus Bray Wyatt. Amazing. Was just an incredible, this might have been- The psychology of it, right? Yeah, and, and, and this is definitely a top five Bray all-time Bray Wyatt match. I'm do- saying that without actually going through the history, but it's probably there's a da- the Daniel Bryan, ma- a Daniel Bryan match and, and a couple of Roman Reigns matches in the conversation and not much else for Bray Wyatt. Um, and certainly, like, John Cena, as campy as this storyline was, that that Bray Wyatt wanted to basically bring John Cena to the dark side, they told it really credulously and really smartly. And I mean, in, 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 within the context of the match itself, the announcers were on point. Everything made sense. That the wrestlers did a great job. That was really cool. And then, of course, Daniel Bryan's in the conversation for this too. I mean, that that whole the, the way that that storyline was told in the context of the sort of you know the 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 way that we watch wrestling changes constantly uh, we were way past the point of like kayfabe being over we all knew wrestling was fake we all know what's going on backstage 
But this was sort of, you know, on the heels of the CM Punk era, this was the inception of how we watch wrestling now. Right. So I answered this question a little bit differently. Uh-huh. I'm not looking at it from a match standpoint. Uh-huh. I was looking at it from like an end result kind of standpoint. Go like for the it. finishes, right? I think, now people didn't think this in the moment, but Brock winning mm-hmm. has aged really well. I was. I'm glad that you said that. I have that. I, I have a note about that in another category. But let's go ahead and talk about it. So, so, for people that are listening that do not know, the Undertaker won his match at WrestleMania for 21 years in a row. I think there was a year he took off, right? But 21, right. 21 WrestleManias that he appeared. That he appeared. He, he had a 21 match winning streak coming into this one. That's a fair technicality, and um, you know, people who don't understand wrestling say, "Oh, well, isn't it?" Isn't it booked in advance anyway? Isn't yeah. it all fake? Well, yeah, but what you have to understand is for 21 years, Undertaker was deemed to be the right guy at that moment to win, which yeah. is an outstanding feat. Sure. And for a couple of years, I mean, for a number of years leading up to this, he was sort of a special attraction wrestler, was either wrestling only at WrestleMania or pretty, pretty, you know, a, a select few dates. And I, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but I, but at the time, I remember you if you went back through the streak, is what they called it, um, they, they started— That's ag- when The Undertaker removed all his clothes yeah. and ran through the arena. <laughs> they started acknowledging the win streak at about 13, if I remember that correctly. Early? Oh, I didn't think it was maybe that. It maybe. Was, I mean, maybe it was, it, was, it was definitely in the mid-teens that they actually started acknowledging that he had gone undefeated for all these years. Now, it didn't become like— T-shirts didn't say the streak or anything, but it was, you know, at that point they were like, yeah, he's won a lot of matches in a row at WrestleMania. This is kind of a thing. Right. It was very organic. So what So what you get to is this expectation that at, at WrestleMania 30 that he's never going to lose. And that right. if he does lose, we'll know before because there'll be rampant rumors about his retirement, you people, know, that he'll, he'll lose a, on his last match. And people would talk a lot about who's the right guy because it had become such an important thing yeah. and such a revered thing, the streak, mm-hmm. that it was almost like it was bigger than the WWE title. So yeah. you would think oh, about- Oh, yeah, because the WWE title changes hands on a pr- fairly frequent basis. So you would t- So wrestling fans would nerd out about the fact- who is the right guy to defeat the Undertaker and the streak and then have that accolade be a part of his uh, bragging rights for years to come? Right. So when people have this conversation, the people they're thinking about are people like Daniel Bryan or maybe right. like CM Punk who had just left. Uh, maybe, I mean, usually when you get wrestling nerds in a room and start talking about it, you it starts skewing towards... Uh, younger or newer talents that probably they definitely don't have any business being, you know, taking a WrestleMania match from The Undertaker. Um, and but you could see du- Bray Wyatt or someone like that who would actually take the mantle of The Undertaker as the sort of supernatural, you know, that's a great point. Big name at, at on the WrestleMania stage. There are a lot of people you you know, but but people would always talk about younger or newer talents. Brock Lesnar was so established by this point. He was so also dominant. he was also a part time wrestler that the idea of him winning. First of all, he didn't need to win. He did, the, right. This is the argument. Brock Lesnar doesn't need, doesn't gain anything by winning. He's already the biggest name he could possibly be, and that's why it was so shocking when he did. Yeah, and that, and that, and he was, he was, like I said, part time contract. That Vince McMahon had this incre- the most valuable thing in his armory or in his, in, in his, in his, in his safe. Uh, he decided to give it to a guy that he has the least control over. It's not someone he has, you know, even if he gave it to a mediocre wrestler that was, but someone that you knew was going to be a lifelong, a lifelong WWE employee, that would have made more sense at the, it, going by the conventional wisdom. So when, when Brock Lesnar won, everyone was so stunned as we described in the previous segment, it was 
utter silence. The announcers, to their credit, got out of the way and didn't say a damn thing for about five minutes as Brock Lesnar left the arena and Undertaker eventually sat up and accepted a sort of like, you know, kind round of applause from the crowd. Then, well, the and the announcers also stood yep. at their desk yeah. and gave him a standing round of applause, a standing ovation. They were all creepily clapping at exactly the same cadence. I, I don't know if you noticed I that, that, but it was just like five people that were just like. It was really weird, but but it was incredible because they were acknowledging that they had just witnessed the end of the streak, yeah. and they were honoring these twin. Not only these twenty-one matches, mm-hmm. or I guess twenty-two, right, but also the two decades plus of service that yeah. Undertaker had given to the company. Absolutely. So as unexpected as it was, uh, I think the prevailing feeling coming out of it, I mean, listen, this was a big moment for WWE. They got USA Today, I remember, was writing about it the day after. You know, I mean, b- ma- mainstream media was paying attention because of how shocking this was and how and how big of a deal it was in the pro wrestling world. And, and that there's two giant names, Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker, attached to it mattered a lot. But the feeling, I think, from everybody was that it was probably a bad use of the streak ending because Brock Lesnar wasn't going to reap the benefits of it. But uh, I'll let you take over from here because this is the what's age the best category. Did it, I, I, I'm going to guess you're arguing that, you, that, it was a, that it was a good use of, uh, of the end of the streak. I, I agree. And, you know, it made Brock Lesnar so hated. Mm-hmm. It brought him from a hated heel to a heel with... What they what they say is nuclear heat mm-hmm. because fans hated the idea that the Undertaker streak was over. Yes, and took it out on Brock Lesnar. Still to this day, uh-huh. take it out on Brock Lesnar, and I think it did a lot for Brock Lesnar's manager or advocate, mm-hmm. Paul Heyman. I can't help but think Heyman would come out after that night and say they were the, that Brock Lesnar was the one in twenty one and one. Right. right, that was he. He was the he was the guy who beat the Undertaker, and and Heyman would say, "I am the one behind the one." Yeah, <laughs> um, and I just can't imagine any other wrestler, even somebody, even Daniel Bryan. I mean, who 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 has the the most upside of any of the kind of younger crew of wrestlers at that point? I can't imagine anyone making the hay out of beating the Undertaker as big as a deal as, as it was that Paul Heyman was able to do for Brock Lesnar, and it made and it brought Brock Lesnar from dominant. To unstoppable, and Brock Lesnar went on to be WWE champion for mo- most. Mo- can I is most correct most of the time between then and now. <laughs> Everybody thought that he was just kind of going to be a, a special event wrestler. He would pop up and bloody John Cena, and then disappear for six months. That he would have these matches against people like the Undertaker, occasionally maybe put over a up and coming star. But he went on to be the most important person in the entire company, and that tells you all you need to know about whether or not that was a wasted spot. I mean, you know, a wasted opportunity. It was not. It was. You're absolutely right. It's aged better than anything else. Next category: What's aged the worst? I think I know where you're going to go with this. I have two. Okay, good. I think one is Hulk Hogan. The existence of the presence the, of the presence of Hulk Hogan being at this show, and I know the WWE recently brought him back. I was gonna back. say he's back. I mean, I don't know. It's funny how far, like the distance that we've come since then to arrive at pretty much the exact same place. It's really sad. Yeah, he should not be on television now. Um, and seeing him back then, I get the willies watching him. Uh-huh. It's really hard for me because you know he, for for any wrestling fan, he is he's the guy, yeah. right? So I think seeing him. But I think what's really aged the worst is no great women's match. Yeah. The only presence yeah. of women on the show 
is this dopey Vicky Guerrero invitational mm-hmm. that makes no sense. Yeah. It's a popcorn match. It it doesn't even need to exist because the champion who walks in, AJ Lee, also leaves with the title. Yeah. It doesn't really need to happen. It's just to get them on the show, which is the antithesis of what we're seeing in WWE right now. Yeah. And it's just so, I mean, it's the, the way that people- the, the Is that w- where you thought I was going to go? Huh? No, I thought you were going to stick with Hogan, but okay. I think, but that's that's actually the same answer that I had. The the degree to which people would bend over backwards at the time, fans in WWE both, and kind of explain why, the, explain away the state of women's wrestling. It's amazing how they just put the lie to it by themselves by making a good women's wrestling promotion, right? Yeah, I mean that we're talking about this year having Ronda Rousey versus Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair at a triple threat that's probably going to main event the entire show, right? And at WrestleMania 30, what we got was basically just like a gimmick match you know i mean it's there's and it was just an excuse to get everybody on the card yep. and just to show their faces now the one other thing i want to mention um i'm not going to say this age the worst but but the prominence of aj lee was a little bit jarring over the just d- because of the yeah. fact that she not not in a bad way but just that like it's amazing like you know i still think about cm punk occasionally i wrote i wrote thousands of words in praise of AJ Lee during her peak when I was writing for Grantland. I totally forgot that she was defending the title on this card. I mean, I... I, And a a record reign, right? It was a 300 plus day reign with the title. And the one, but, and the thing that I have in, that I, that that I jotted down in parallel with that, and I won't say this, age the worst is probably a little bit extreme, but the attempted push of Cesaro, I mean, do you? I mean, just I know that it it was just he he won the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal on this card. I know that that's not saying a lot, but part of it, the reason why it's not saying a lot is because they just did nothing with him after the fact. I, I want to get to Cesaro later. Okay, okay, we'll get back to that. The answer for this, ab, you're absolutely right, is the lack of a compelling or interesting uh, women's match on the card. It's they, they could have done a lot better. But All right, C- Cesaro is an important guy to talk about later. You know what? Also, didn't age well for WWE. Go ahead. Bray Wyatt Wyatt was amazing. Yeah. And he just, they didn't use him correctly or he just, I don't know. Was he hurt for a while? There's no, there's no logical explanation about what's happened with Bray Wyatt. He was. I mean, that was a swing and a miss. Watching that last night, I was so impressed. I was like, God, he was a badass. He was awesome. Had him on top, man. Yeah, there was a lot of sort of treading water, both in the presentation and in the sort of match style. And it just sort of seemed like it was going to be. It seemed like they were just waiting for, I don't know, like they they just kind of expected him to be accepted as the new Undertaker or the new whatever right off the bat. And when it didn't happen, no one really knew what to do. Like there You wasn't... know what it was? They were never able to pull the trigger on him and stick with him for a long time. He had that one very brief like 30-day run with the title or less. On SmackDown. But there were always other guys who, yeah. who needed the spotlight more, and Bray was just a casualty of that. It's true. Bray Wyatt, Bray Wyatt is an old school sort of character and he's a sort of character that would have just sort of like owned a, like been on top of a promotion for three years, you know, or, or not maybe not for three years. But look, look back at like um, Kevin Sullivan down in Florida, you know, when he was running his satanic gimmick for the first time or whatever, like a guy like that with, who just had a lot of leeway and a, and a big platform. And you can really, you know. Yeah, it's 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 hard to watch that Bray Wyatt. And I said it on, I actually said it on the Masked Man show the other day when he stopped wearing that black tight shirt that he was wearing on uh, at WrestleMania 30 and started wearing merch everywhere. I think that was the end of I think that was the end of it. All right, next category. Half-ass internet research corner. Um if you have anything you want to you want to talk about, please do. The, the the two two big two big 
things that I that I wanted to talk of in reference to Brock Lesnar versus The Undertaker. One, that Vince McMahon made the decision to put to have Lesnar win the day of the show. That was a big internet rumor at the time. And I and right. And and then the other one post after the match um, was that The Undertaker. This is this is according to WrestleZone.com. Oh no, this is from the Wrestling Observer. This is Dave Meltzer. That the Undertaker Who? the Undertaker was concussed so bad during the match that he had no idea what was happening and Lesnar had to carry the majority of the match. And this is, do you have any takes on either of those or do you want to suggest anything else, Zach? Yeah, I have a couple more and then I think this bleeds well into the greatest what if. I think there are a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot of internet rumors that went into what would have been on the card Oh yeah, in, in other scenarios. But uh, that is true that when Undertaker walked through the curtain and arrived in gorilla position, um, he collapsed after the match. Yeah. After the match, he collapsed and needed to be taken to the hospital. And Vince went with him Oof. and missed the end of the show. Paul Heyman references that in a promo uh, uh, several weeks or several mm-hmm. months after that. Um, the two that I have are there are rumors. I don't know these for a fact, um, but there are rumors that there was going to be a Ryback versus Ultimate Warrior, either promo or moment or something along those lines. Uh-huh. That's one. And Underta- uh, the Ultimate Warrior, by the way, was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame that weekend and, and made a brief appearance with the other Hall of Fame nominees he, on the show. And he visited us in the Connecticut office uh, in Stamford um, before he was inducted, as they did with a lot of guys where they were bringing back into the fold. Uh-huh. Uh, Sting also came into the office and... And I remember him coming in and uh, an old colleague of mine, uh, we, you know, we were we were looking at him and we were like, this is not the ultimate warrior that we remember. Uh-huh. This is this is just a a beat red old man. Uh-huh. Um, but so the uh, warrior, by the way, was inducted in the Hall of Fame on Saturday, appeared on WrestleMania on Sunday, then made a cut a big promo on Monday Night Raw that people that had people come jumping out of their chairs and then died like two day one day later. The next day. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was just insane. But go go on. Uh, the only other one I have is Austin was apparently real ticked off that The Rock entered third mm-hmm. in that segment instead of him. And apparently he had been promised that it was going to be vice versa. The Austin versus The Rock thing. I mean, we, we could spend an hour talking about it, but it's, it's a really fun. I mean, it's a really interesting conversation because when we, you, Zach, you and I have had have had WWE Mount Rushmore conversations on multiple occasions. And if you go by era, then you then you're usually like, okay, well the WWE Hall of Fame, I mean Mount Rushmore is Bruno San Martino. I mean the easiest thing to do is to start with Hulk Hogan so you don't have to it gets a little bit easier, but you go Bruno, Hogan, John Cena, and then the the spot in between Hogan and Cena is either The Rock or Stone Cold Steve Austin. And generally, I mean correct me if you disagree, you land on Stone Cold Steve Austin because of centrality to the company during their most vibrant era. I think right? that's 100% right. If you're doing a Mount Rushmore of WWE eras, mm-hmm. the answer is Bruno, Hogan, Austin, Cena. That's the answer. Yeah. And I think there is no real argument there. If you want to get more into the nuances, you know, you can argue Ric Flair, Undertaker, yeah. The Rock, but, there are other guys. But you but you cannot, but, but at the same time, you. It, I think it's pretty self-evident that The Rock is a bigger star than Austin will ever be. At this point, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and, and even at WrestleMania 30, he was the movie star. He was the, you know, right. you know, Austin Hercules is, himself. <laughs> Hercules himself. Um, and, you know, The Rock was still, at that point, a viable wrestler. 
Like he was, you know, they knew he he might come back, you know, someday and wrestle some more or whatever. And that's that was an important part of the process, too. And listen, Austin was as over as anybody's ever been. But The Rock has the catchphrases. The Rock has the The Rock is just like a, a, a an attention magnet, you know, and I can understand why Austin would be mad. Uh, but Austin's got to realize that he's more important to the pro wrestling world. Anyway, Jim, you got some um, internet rumors for us? Triple H's entrance, those three women were Charlotte, Sasha, and a yet-to-debut in NXT, Alexa Bliss. Yes, that's a great bit of internet research, half-assed internet that's research. That's a great one. Charlotte, Sasha, and Alexa Bliss, none of whom any of us knew. Right. Some, 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 some of us might have had some concept of that, like Charlotte Flair was Charlotte had in been developmental. Around. yeah. But like, but the, I, but no one recognized her, or you know, no one would have, no one knew who any of the, who the other two were for sure. Right, like CM Punk was hanging off the side of Triple H or John Cena's gangster car. Oh, yeah. at WrestleMania in a twenty-two. Suit. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to the next category: greatest what if or sliding doors moment for WrestleMania thirty. Um, Jim just Jim just mentioned it. Zach alluded to it earlier at the Royal Rumble uh, in January of that year, just three months prior. CM Punk. Legitimately walked out the the night after the Royal. Oh, Rumble. right, the, the, right. He 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 wrestled in the Rumble. Spent most of the match kind of lying, like uh, uh, conspicuously on the side of the apron, and then after that, walked out on the company um, and and said he wasn't coming back. Um, so so this is a fact. If Punk had not left the company, WrestleMania would have been very different. Uh-huh. It would have been CM Punk versus Triple H. Yeah. And it would have been Daniel Bryan versus Sheamus in a match, in a rematch from two years prior right. where Sheamus famously defeated Daniel Bryan in 18 seconds. Now, right, right. Um, Wade Keller from the Wrestling Torch uh, said that, I mean, agree, said that, that definitely him leaving played a huge part in the way they booked the show um, and they only gave him the match after Punk quit. Br- Bryan has said, said as much in interviews. Now, there were rumors at the time that right around this moment, and who and, and it might have been, you know, it, it before the Royal Rumble, there were rumors that the that the plan was subtly shifting that they might put CM Punk versus Kane or something to give Daniel Bryan this spot. But but all but everybody says it was gonna be Daniel Bryan versus Sheamus and CM Punk versus Triple H. Yeah, as far as I know that that, that was never seriously discussed. I think that I think the the implication was that CM Punk, I mean, was to make it look like CM Punk was walking out because he was getting demoted on the card or something. But in fact, he was sort of beat up after a long time. He had a some sort of uh, staff infection in his back that had been misdiagnosed. All this has come out later. CM Punk has sued the or has been said said a bunch of things on a podcast about WWE. WWE's doctor sued CM Punk. CM Punk won. Like the, there's been a ton of shit. So this this might WrestleMania 35 is happening in a few weeks. It's the first WrestleMania. Um, since WrestleMania 30, or I guess since 29, where there weren't rampant rumors of CM Punk appearing, <laughs> right? Uh, we've it took five years, but we're finally over the. I mean, we're we're getting close to being over CM. You know, spectrum. and I would be surprised if he ever came back. I think he's one of these guys. I don't think he'll ever come back. Sure, which means he's probably going to come back. Um, but yeah, CM Punk changed the course of wrestling history by deciding to leave the company. Here's the other great what if. Uh huh. There was there was supposed to be, and there had been discussions. It never got as close as what we're talking about now with CM Punk. Yeah, but there had been discussions for Rock versus Brock for years, right? Oh yeah, and it was going to happen at this WrestleMania. And if that had happened, what do you do with Undertaker? Mm-hmm. We were going to get our Undertaker John Cena match, which ended up happening just a year or two yeah. ago in a 
kind of really strange, not even a real match kind of way. Yeah, for all of those playing catch up, The Undertaker took on Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 33 and seemed to retire after the match. Yeah. Left his hat in the ring. There was a whole big elaborate ceremony. Everybody was saying, was was wishing him well, was was congratulating him. And then he made like a surprise sort of return for last year for WrestleMania 34. Although they didn't actually announce the match, John Cena just kept challenging him. Everyone and then, knew it was going to happen. Yeah, but they, it wasn't officially listed, which is big because they can't promote it. You know, I mean, it's not, they're not on the posters. So... Uh, John Cena just sat in the crowd until, and then finally he ran backstage halfway through. He had a match versus The Undertaker that lasted about a minute. Um, and it seemed like both The Undertaker was kind of defying his retirement, but also abiding by it because it wasn't that much of a match. Now he's apparently charging $60,000 a pop to show up and sign autographs, which is, you know, go get that money, Taker. Go get it. Also saw a weird rumor that he's uh, that he's trademarked Dead Man Talking, so there might be a podcast on oh the way. Oh my God, no way. Yeah. Oh, my God. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that podcast. Um, I mean, the other big sliding doors moment that we talked about already was what if they had just not gone through with Daniel Bryan, with the Daniel Bryan storyline? What if they had just let it be uh, Orton versus Batista? Sure. And, I mean, listen, the amount of booing that they would have gotten during that main event might have, like, shuttered the company. Like, that would that could, if they had just not had, if CM Punk had left, and they had, but they had just stuck with the Daniel Bryan versus Sheamus or Daniel Bryan, whatever, maybe Daniel Bryan versus Kane, because Kane at that point was a representative of uh, the, the authority. The authority the, Corporate the, Kane. Yeah, the, the, the front Daniel office. Bryan's former tag team partner. Yeah, yeah, if they had just done that and then just let the crowd boo during the main event, that could have been, that could have, that that would have been a, an entirely different and sh- and maybe, you know, post-apocalyptic timeline. Um, but, you know, thankfully they made the right choice. They Vince McMahon, for, for anything you want to say about him, knows what a big moment feels like and looks like, and, and they, they, they made the right call that night. All right, next award. This is an interesting one when you're talking about pro wrestling, but the Dion Waiters Award for the best heat check. Uh, there are a lot of people who over-exceeded their expectations at WrestleMania 30. A lot of, a lot of people who, who, who uh, you know, if you had only watched that one, if you only watched that one shot, you would have thought they were, they were much bigger than they were. Now, you know, some might even say this was a this was a big heat check moment for Daniel Bryan wrestling two shows on a seven match card. I mean, wrestling two matches on a seven match card really carry. I mean, for everything as as well as they told this story, it is galling, and I use that in the nicest possible way that Daniel Bryan was took up so much screen time from where he had come from, and I don't and I approve of it, but like that's a like. I can't imagine John Cena having two having bookend matches on WrestleMania. This was a the biggest night that any wrestler has had in the modern era, and it was Daniel Bryan. So, I mean, he deserves it, but that's still, I mean, even for someone of his level, this is a heat check. All right. Also on this list, Jim mentioned him earlier, Bray Wyatt. I mean, this is the biggest, maybe the biggest moment in Bray yeah, Wyatt's it might career. Be Bray. That wasn't my pick, but you're you might be right. Um, I will say this is his career was so long and so lauded that this is not this is not his heat check moment uh, in terms of just the spot that he was in or the match that he, or the, or, the, or the you know there was the re, the reaction that he got, but this was sort of a sneaky heat check moment for Triple H because he wrestled like a New Japan style match out of nowhere <laughs> and just put on one of the greatest performances of his career in a just sort of in, in, and he's also in a state of semi retirement. He rebuilt his body. And totally rebuilt. He he decided to wrestle a Daniel Bryan match, and uh, the and on the show opener at WrestleMania 30, and that just to say like, hey, what the hell, I can do this thing. That's a heat check. And then the last one I mentioned him earlier on my list, um, 
is Cesaro, who pulled out a you know who had I don't a think great it's moment, but uh, but he had, you know it, it looked like there was going to be a thing for him, but it, you know and he got to and he got all his stuff in. He has so many cool moments, but that I was... have Cesaro for a different category. All right, what, who's your heat check winner? The New Age Outlaws. Oh yes. What the hell are they doing on yes. this show? Yes, the New Age Outlaws who are each you know, about forty five and are and are weirdly now uh, the Road Dog is. The head of creative for for uh, WWE. I don't know what his title is at the moment, but he is on the creative team. He's a trusted advisor. No, I think he's not. He's the he's the top guy. That's not that's not a, a, a front office person. He's not. He's not a McMahon family member. He was running Smack. He was leading the SmackDown creative team for a while. I believe he is. He's ascended beyond that role, but I could be wrong. That could be true. I mean, there are other senior guys there. I don't want to drop their. Oh names, sure, no, no. There's but- there's tons of important people, but but his is the one that keeps getting circulated. He is a. He is a he's he's the biggest name. I mean, he he's the top like former wrestler back there, except for maybe like Michael P. S. Hayes or whatever. You know? And yet here are the Road Dog and Mr. Ass, Billy Gunn. Who's who's working backstage at the new upstart all elite wrestling, by the way. So. And they are 15 years past their prime. Uh-huh. And they are wrestling the hottest act in the company, the yeah. Shield. Good heat check for them. I mean, that was this is they 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 made it look plausible for a second. And they were also teamed up with Kane, who came out looking like the Road Dog's dad or something. Yeah, Kane, <laughs> I lo- I loved this era of Kane because at some point, just the the sort of supernatural demon gimmick gets a little bit well, silly. I, I would often make the joke when I was working there that there were all these different incarnations of Kane. Uh-huh. There was Demon Kane and Corporate Kane, and I used to say that my favorite was Golf Dad Kane. <laughs> He would always come in with like a kind of like a baggy polo in real life. You mean when you walk in the office? Yeah, if you see him now, is it mayor? I mean, it's kind of what he looks like a lot. Um, but yeah, he was wrestling in basically slacks and nothing else, and like a buzz cut, and it was just like it was disturbing how it was disturbing at the time because it because of his backstory. But yeah, you watch it, and it's like this guy just looks like somebody's dad. He like took his shirt off so he didn't get it bloodied up during the fight. Um, yeah, Whew. there were a lot of a lot of heat checks that night. That was a really weird match, and also just really weird that they had the big, the hottest team in pro wrestling. I mean, honestly, if this had been a year later and see him and and everything else had been the same, one of these guys would have gotten the the CM Punk spot after he walked out. You're right, no and, no question at all. But they just weren't quite there yet. One of the Shield guys, right? But they but this was the hottest thing in pro wrestling, and it was a, and there were six people in the match, and it got two minutes. Anyway, the Tim McCarver Memorial Broadcast Team Complaint Corner. What does this mean? Crappy announcing. Oh, I think we've said it. It's Michael Cole calling the rock Hercules himself. <laughs> That's on my list. There's also there are also a lot of um I will give Michael Cole credit for for after Daniel Bryan won. There's a, there were so many good and bad calls. Michael credit My, Michael Cole gets credit for the miracle on Bourbon Street because that was it was that was the right big big moment call after Daniel Bryan won. And that's become an iconic call. Yeah. Yeah. Um some less uh, iconic calls that happened after that were um, the King saying WrestleMania has turned into Yeslemania. Actually, that was after the Triple H match, I believe. WrestleMania, that you had, he had someone had to say it, uh, and it probably had to be the King, but that was silly. And then JBL's just like indignant reaction to Daniel Bryan. It's time to leave the gimmick behind at some point. When Dan, when 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 he beat Triple H, and JBL said the garden, this garden creature just beat the game. That seemed like that did that that only served to diminish Daniel Bryan, who was walking into the main event and about to win. You know, Dan, he can get off his get off his shit. By the way, one very this is not a minor thing, but a sort of sidebar to this whole thing. It was amazing 
that Daniel Bryan's finisher di- finishing move, his running knee, did not have a name. And yeah, the, it was just the, the running knee, and they had no way to re- to to. And and you don't realize how big of a deal this is until a move doesn't have a name, and then you have you have situations where Michael Cole during the final move of re- wrestling move of WrestleMania 30, Michael Cole is forced to say. That was the knee that he used to beat Triple H. Right. <laughs> you know, there's just like, it's absolutely nuts. Apex Mountain. The Apex Mountain Award, who was absolutely at their peak and never bigger during WrestleMania 30. Um, you can make the case that uh, a lot of the names we said before, this was uh, Brock Lesnar has obviously done a lot of stuff since then, but this was his biggest moment. Um, I would, like I said, make the case that this is Triple H's best match that he ever worked, but this is obviously I don't know not, about that. But this is not his biggest moment. And then... Uh, but but I think I'll give you two names before I'll give you one name before we get to Daniel Bryan, which is the answer. Uh, Randy Orton. This was the end of the big of the best Randy Orton run in Randy Orton's career. But Randy Orton walking in as undisputed champion, carrying two belts, looked like a bigger boss than just about anybody's ever looked looked at looked like in WWE. I mean, this is the best. Randy Orton in the Authority was the best version of Randy Orton. He got to be his kind of. His like I don't know as, if I agree with that asshole. But. This is my case. His you got to be the asshole sort of dimwit that is the that is the equivalent of turning the volume up to eleven on Randy Orton, or at least what we perceive it to be. And this was the end of that. Not his greatest moment, but this was you know this was you know I'll give him a a commemorative award for having such a great run as part of the Authority. But the answer has to be Daniel Bryan, right? I mean, this is the biggest moment of anybody's wrestling career. What do you think? Daniel Bryan is the obvious pick, mm-hmm. but I am going with Cesaro. Yes. Okay. Go ahead. So, just a little bit of background: they were doing an on a memorial battle royal to commemorate Andre the Giant. Yes. And I believe this was the first one. Yeah. And everything telegraphed leading up to this seemed to indicate that the Big Show mm-hmm. was going to win this. He is the heir to Andre the Giant. He's Andre the, the Giant's son, as most people know. <laughs> By the way, when we were doing the Andre the Giant documentary, the only thing that I was pushing for was just to have one set, one five second clip of Paul White, the Big Show, being interviewed, and just but just having him identified as Andre the Giant's son, <laughs> and no explanation or apology ever given. I thought that would just be really great. Okay, Big Show is not Andre the Giant's son, but was introduced as Andre the Giant's son in WCW years prior. Anyway, everything had seemed to be leading up to the Big Show winning this Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. Yeah. And it ends up coming down to two guys, The Big Show and Cesaro. Uh-huh. Now, Cesaro fans loved. He he was getting great reactions, yeah. but he wasn't 100% clicking. Something yeah. about Cesaro, he never kind of quite got there, even though everyone recognized how super talented he was. Uh-huh. But at the finish of this battle royal, The Big Show kind of lurches at him, and Cesaro hoists him up with both of his arms and body slams him over the top rope. Mm-hmm. When this happened in the WWE.com newsroom, yeah. I I remember it I, I remember it so vividly. Everybody in the newsroom gasped and then leapt up in cheers. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of us were not told the finishes of matches yeah. in advance. Some of us knew some of the finishes, yeah. but we didn't know this was happening, and we didn't know how it was happening, uh-huh. that he was going to be last eliminating Big Show. It was an incredible moment mm-hmm. at the time. We we gasped, we cheered. Cesaro has never been bigger. 
Brian also has never been bigger, but he's had other very, very big moments. Yeah, sure. So that's why I would argue that it's more clear for Cesaro. I think that's a good call. Funniest in-game network promo. We mentioned the WWE network pro- ads before as they, as they were just constantly trying to explain what this thing was. It was funny that they still felt obligated, in retrospect, funny they still felt obligated to shout out the cable companies. At the time, I'm sure it was totally normal, but it seems like such a dinosaur thing now that like these right. the, the announcers just like, hey, uh, for all you people watching on Time Warner, hope you're having a good night. You know, I mean, this very like weird thing. And then now they're, but they're like, and if you sign up for the WWE network, you get some stuff. At that point, it was so new and so tenuous. And now it's the way that every single wrestling fan watches watches their pay-per-views. 100%. I have a different nomination. Go. I think it's the bottles of Mountain Dew sitting oh, on no. the announce desk. Yes. They're sitting there they're sitting there for the whole show in front of each of the three announcers. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of liquid that looks like radioactive urine in these things mm-hmm. is never decreases. No. I think only Jerry Lawler has a few sips, and they're sitting there for the whole show. They look ridiculous. Hottest retroactive take, one you wish you had in the moment. Brock should have won. I never would have said that in the moment. I was furious that The Undertaker that, that, had that's lost. The, that's the right answer. That's the, that's absolutely it. Um, that was the right move. The right. I mean, just the, it was the cool. It, in in retrospect, it feels so right. It feel it makes so much sense, and it takes some of the pressure off of The Undertaker's career going forward. I mean, there's so many ways that it worked. Um, nobody would have said that at the time. No, nobody would have said that. Um, Honestly, if I had to pick one hot retroactive take besides that, it's uh, the women deserve better. And I know that I was not amongst, I mean, I definitely, there was some, I was a huge fan of a lot of the people that they had on the show and I'm sure I should have said it, but I had no concept of where the, where the women's division was going to go and, uh, and wish I would have complained about it more loudly at the time. Um, yeah, I agree. We've already talked about uh, best unintentional comedy moment. Um, probably unanswerable questions. Two more categories. Second to last, probably unanswerable questions. This is my probable unanswering question for you. When did WWE buy into the Yes movement? When did they realize that, that, that Daniel Bryan was the guy? Sometime after Punk left. You think it was after the Royal I Rumble? I think they might have realized it before, but they didn't want to admit it to themselves. They were definitely milking it before. We've talked about this. Uh, I don't know if it was been on the air or just off, but there were, there were times in the fall where they were... They were they, it's not like the Daniel Bryan reactions were an accident. I mean, they were they were holding them off shows to build up the to to you know to build up the the existential angst from the fan base, and they were putting him out there in huge spots. You know what? I have I have I can pinpoint the answer of that question. They'll give it to me. It was Monday Night Raw uh-huh. in Seattle, Washington, uh-huh. on December 9th, two thousand thirteen. Yes, when they were doing a ceremony in the ring to talk about the unification of the titles. I believe Uh it was John Cena versus Randy Orton. And they had assembled in the ring former champions. And the only thing the Seattle crowd wanted to do was chant for Daniel Bryan. Yeah. And Mark Henry, to his credit, our our dear close personal friend Mark Henry. love Mark. raised, acknowledged the crowd because Triple H, who was in the ring, would never do it. And raised... Brian's arm and Brian is cracking up and I think that's the moment that WWE had to admit it to themselves yeah I think that's I think that's a really good call it was a um I mean that's always going to be the big question whether or not it was the plan all along or a last minute decision or something in between as with all things you know in in life it's probably somewhere in the middle 
Um, do you have any unanswerable questions? I don't. I don't have anything. I think that's it. I think that's the one. I mean, we just will never know when the, I mean, that one of the greatest moments in modern wrestling history, um, you know, the great thing about pro wrestling is that it blurs a line between the real and the, and the fantastic. And, uh, this is one of those great moments where it was the crowd really drove Daniel Bryan and his great skills and charisma and everything else, uh, you know, was obviously the driving force, but it was the crowd that forced this uh, into the main event of WrestleMania. And it's, and, and that was the story they were telling. It's one of the most compelling stories that the WWE's ever done because it was real. And, and we'll never know how much WWE bought into it along the way. hundred percent. And I, and I had the opportunity to interview Daniel Bryan um, in October 2013, there's this annual event at Caroline's in New York that they do called Ringside Fest. Mm-hmm. And I was there covering it in my capacity working for WWE.com. And I asked Daniel Bryan about uh, the changing mold of what a WWE superstar is to Vince McMahon and the company. Uh-huh. And he was very honest in talking about how the mold was changing and fans um, were having a different time accepting who can be a main event talent. And, mm-hmm. and so was Vince. And he also talked, I also asked him about winning the WWE title at, which had happened at, at SummerSlam two months prior to me talking to him. And he said at that time, Again, this was about six months before this WrestleMania. Yeah. He said he didn't feel like he had really been the champion yet. Yeah. Even though he had had that coronation and we talked about the balloons falling and all that, he never successfully defended the title. Mm-hmm. He never had a run with the title. And that didn't happen until right here at WrestleMania. And as good as he is, I mean, even if you give WWE all the credit in the world, they knew what they were doing to some extent, whatever, the whole time. And that it was, you know, whatever, that, that this was all part of the plan. Being champion is still a measure, like it's a fake thing, and but you, just like you talked about with the Undertaker streak, but it's, a, before, it's an honor. It's a being, great honor. Being honor is still a measure of their of their confidence in you. I mean, right. the, the, the link that would and and the fact that he won and then lost it, they were telling a really good story. You know, I mean that that was that was well told, but like it doesn't it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean that they were behind him as champion. It means that they knew that would get that reaction, the right reaction out of the crowd at that moment. And then they let, you know, Randy Orton sort of run with it for a bit. Like you said, they went back and forth, but, um, you know, Daniel Bryan, uh, could have just been seen as someone who was a top level guy, but he was always going to work better as an underdog. He was always going to be the challenger. He's going to be the Dusty Rhodes type. He's, ne- he's not gonna, the guy to carry the title. That's a great analogy. Dusty Rhodes. And, and the fact that they eventually got to this WrestleMania moment, uh, you know, it was pretty impressive. Last question of the night. Who won the game? I have two answers to this. Okay. This is not necessarily a game. It's more of a card. But who won? Who won WrestleMania 30? Um, I think there are, two, there are two answers. The obvious one is Daniel Bryan, right? Mm-hmm. Daniel Bryan won. He, this whole WrestleMania is about him. But in the aftermath of this WrestleMania, mm-hmm. Paul Heyman won. Oh, Paul, I thought you were going to say Brock. This is good. Paul Heyman was able to come out on Raw each week after this WrestleMania and talk about how great Brock Lesnar was and then use that as ammunition to build up whatever other talent he was touting at the time. Uh-huh. And he is just a master of the microphone and no one benefited from Brock Lesnar's win over The Undertaker more than Paul Heyman. Yeah. Not even Brock Lesnar. Yeah. I think that's a really good call. The answer to this is Daniel Bryan, though. (laughs) Fair enough. For for all the reasons we've said before. Um, All right, that's it. That's WrestleMania 30. Zach Linder, thank you so much for coming by and doing this. Thank you so much for bringing me back to a time in my life when I was really unhappy with the company I was working at. (laughs) 
That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> do you want to plug your Twitter handle or anything like that? Oh, sure. Z-A-C-H-L-I-N-D-E-R. I, I tweet about Brooklyn real estate and uh, and Passover Seders. And you should not miss any of those tweets. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. This has been the Rewatchables Sports Edition or Fake Sports Edition. We'll talk to you soon. We are desperately out of time. The tape machines are rolling. We'll see you next week on the Mass Man Show. 